Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn Heinz, film critic and journalist. And this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I speak to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today, I'm so happy to have writer and director A.B. Rockwell join me to talk about her film, A Thousand and One, which had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival, which I covered and I had a blast. Like, this is one of my favorite films. And I love, I think I saw most of the films I saw were about Black mothers. And oh. this is one of... Yeah, I love the films that I saw. Like there was this one and then there was um, Girl. Girl had me in my emotions and <laughs> I was all a mess. And your film had me too. Like Tiana Taylor, she is like, she's fantastic in this film. And I can't wait to get to to get in depth about this film. But before we begin, begin talking about 1001, as usual, I like to have my guests say a bit about themselves and what inspired them to become filmmakers and creatives. So for you, Amy, what inspired you to become a director and a screenwriter? What inspired me to become a, a director and screenwriter? So I I think I always loved the arts as a kid, uh, whether it was the performing arts, I was interested in literature and writing. Like I just, I always had like a lot of creative energy. And I think in a lot of the programs I had access to throughout my childhood, it really just, I, I really could sense how much it enlivened me. And when I was in high school, I directed a series of plays. And, and so that was like my first taste of directing. And I always knew that I wanted to work in, in entertainment to some degree, but I didn't really know you could pursue filmmaking as a just like a straightforward career path. So it wasn't really until I was already far along in college and just trying to find something that sparked me and energized me the way those, those different things, uh, creative things that I explored as a kid uh, growing up. I, I discovered that there was a program at NYU for filmmaking um, and I had discovered European cinema at the time. So I think those two things, just kind of seeing a fuller breadth of what filmmaking could be beyond what I loved about it as a kid. Um, and then discovering that there was a program and I was like, I don't know what it means to be a filmmaker for a living. You know, I think coming from a Caribbean background, I think things are a lot more traditional and I don't know what you do with an arts degree, but I, I just knew that and me wanting to spend the rest of my life pursuing something that made me feel just as like excited and purposeful and, and energized to wake up every day as, as, as I did when I was a kid. That's what I saw in filmmaking. Um, and, and also just like the purpose I could find in it to serve other people. It was something that I love to do for myself, but I also saw, uh, I saw a way that I could give back to, to society and the way that I just communicated about life through stories. Mm, and I think in, in speaking about communicating through to um, about life through stories, your this film, A Thousand and One. And I also saw one of your I saw I went on your website and I saw your film Feathers. I'll admit I didn't make it to the end because the scene with the break and the bird I was like, no, I was just like, I couldn't. Oh, no. <laughs> but then also you, you did a short film for um kind of like a short film music video for Alicia Keys and like. I noticed there's a, a visual th theme and a threat and a thread throughout your projects and, and it extends into 1001, which is about showing the life of Black people, especially those in urban um, environments like in New York, where this film is set, as very realistic as possible. There's no glitz, no glamour, no, no gloss. It's life as it is, you know, even the even in like the lighting and the coloring and the staging, these are who these characters are you know like we see the houses and the environments and it's just like you're walking outside and this is exactly how it is you know it's not cleaned up to make pretty so talk a bit so talk first about having that be your visual aesthetic as a filmmaker because I think it's what makes this film in particular very special because 
Inez and these people that are that are around her look just like the people I know. Like I'm from the Caribbean, as you like, we both have shared that uh, that similarity. But I'm from Barbados, and I've never actually been to New York. But like I know the I I I know these people from in my neighborhood. You know, Inez is just like the the girls that I would go to to go and get my hair done, go get my hair braided on Con Road. You know, we go sit on somebody's living room and watch somebody get ready for an event. So I see them get get their hair done with the hot comb, the curling iron. You know, Kim is I know Kim's like Kim is also very like but I, the names of the characters also so also reminded me very much of Caribbean names like Inez is you can't get more Caribbean than a name like Inez and there's like even a song a Bajan Calypso song about a woman named Inez so talk mm-hmm. about just like making that your foundation for for your projects and say I'm gonna show black people the way they really are yeah I think I just wanted to see myself and I wanted to see my experience and and it was just all those little details even I remember at a certain point when we were creating the soundscape it was really important for me uh, to hear Angie Martinez and uh, Puff Daddy, you know, as Diddy was calling himself back then. Um, hearing, like, that's what we hear on the radio in this scene. Because growing up, you know, Angie Martinez, along with my funk master Fleck, like, they were the sound of New York, you know. So even in little kernels like that, I just felt like this feels like home. This feels like truth to me. So I think by making a movie that really represented myself, I was also able to reach out to and connect with other people. And that's what I try to do over the course of my career is just really see myself. And it's interesting because that ha- that is a question that has come up for me recently. Like, what are some of the, the movies or products that I've seen myself in? And, and there probably have been other things that I've seen over time that made me feel like, okay, I see myself reflected in this story or in this character or in this, you know, in this plot. I don't know, you know, but I think... Uh, as I create my own worlds, particularly the worlds that are more grounded and truthful, like these dramas that you're talking about, I really just wanted to see the world in a way that I was familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you were talking, um, one project in particular popped in my head, um, Another, just another girl on the IRT. The, that film and yours kind of have a very similar aesthetic and a very similar feel where it, it feels like these people really do exist, you know, like you were just almost doing a biography of Inez and Terry and Lucky. And and another, just another girl in the IRT is very much like that. These are, it, it feels just like the filmmaker just plopped herself in there. She's filming these um, people as they were. And it also made me think of how, like, you, like you're talking about like people like um, Angie Martinez and Grandmaster Funk and all, and having that audio um the audible kind of representation of the music and the environment that existed in new york then and it also made me think about how a lot of films that we had from the late 80s early 90s early 2000s the aesthetics of a lot of the films now aren't the same you know mm-hmm. everything is more uh, just a bit more glossy people are bring, wearing a bit more brand names than regular people on the street wouldn't be able to afford you know and i think we kind of i think we're kind of missing that in filmmaking now where everything feels just a bit too um to not commercialized in a way but also just a bit too glossy and too glamorous almost as if it, there it's like yes there are people who dress like that in their everyday lives but then we are not seeing the regular people as this just as they are you know yeah and I also think I I think for me whether I'm watching movies like sometimes I'm watching something I'm reacting I'm like I don't believe that you know it just doesn't feel real to me so I think that's part of it but I also I think I you, it just in in where you're talking about like things being commercialized I want to be mindful of like not lying about mm-hmm. things or 
apologizing almost for how we really live our lives. Yeah. You know, even certain things like how somebody wears their pants, like, you know, if, they, if they're going to wear their pants baggy in real life, then that's what you need to see on screen. And I don't feel I don't feel the need to hide that. Like, that's how people are really living. Um, and the, obviously, there's a lot of rough language in my movie. Um, but again, like, I'm trying to show empathy for these characters. And I can't show I can't really tell their story in the right way if I'm constantly placing judgment on them by portraying their lives in a way that's kind of like, maybe if we just like polish you up a bit, then you're more acceptable, then you're more lovable, you know? Yeah, and that is actually, um, I think, a perfect segue into what, to discussing um, Ines, because Ines, I think, encapsulates that so well, where she is a woman who's bold, she's brash, she's loud, you know? She's very vocal in her opinion. She's not afraid to let people know what she thinks you know she's a fighter physically and verbally like she's if someone has offended her she will like <laughs> turn up and will be like listen you testing me i go show you though i'm not the one to test you know and I, that's what i love about her because again as i said she's she's women that i know you know she's women that i grew up with she's women that i, I was around back home and and it, and, and the other thing is like in the in, in the film like you can see how her and the change of the environment affected her you know, and like her progression as a character is so sad, but I think it's so beautiful because it's so nuanced in the way how you you talk about things like gentrification, racism, misogyny, you know, sexism, all of the, how all of these affected this woman throughout the years. Because the film is it starts in 1994 and I think ends around like 2005, 2007, around there. And like you can see how she slowly changes. Well, to me, I saw how she slowly changes. She becomes more quiet, as she mentioned, you know, she doesn't become as vocal as she used to be because she's not that she's beaten down but she's trying to fit a mold that people expect from her you know like she told her um her husband lucky she's like you used to like it when it was saucy and hot now you're telling me i need to be more quiet you know and that's something that's echoed by the white landlord who came in and overtook her um her building and she and he's like you're shouting and i'm like first at first you tear up this woman hall she got a right to be angry how dare you but then but then it's just like that's another that's just another example of how over time like her personality has evolved to suit the environment and how things like gentrification and like all of these situ external forces have affected this woman internally so talk about making ines this i think she's such a i think she's just such a fantastic example of how black women are affected by external things that people don't assume because people say how about gentrification affect this one black woman i'm like this is a perfect example you know because she her home is being slowly um eroded around her you know her she's starting to feel less and less secure because her son she like she's just waiting just for terry just to grow up just enough that she doesn't have to worry about him her son being taken from her you know she has a husband as she know he's been trifling but she's trying to be that, you know, stand up black woman who ride or die chick. And that's taking a toll on her. And I'm just like, these are just like, she's such an archetype. And I think she's such a fantastically written character. So talk about first crafting Inez, who is the entire, this film is Inez. This is her story. Mm -hmm. uh, no, thank you so much. I mean, I think everything you said was so thoughtful and it makes me feel so great because so much of what you express is what I had in mind right down to just the fact that she gets quieter over the course of, over the course of the film. And yet partially it is the fact that life is, you know, it, it can be tiring, but a lot of it is the way she is trying to, to fit into the, 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 the rubric that everybody else creates for her. 
Um, and I think the city kind of goes through a similar journey in which you see New York trying over time to become a lot more everywhere, a lot more like everywhere else to be a little bit more palatable. And I think Inez is trying to become a lot more palatable. Um, and so I'm sorry, I'm like, I actually, I kind of lost track. <laughs> I kind of lost track of the questions. Can you repeat it one more time? I'm sorry. No, it's, um, you're, no, you're going because like she is, she, um, Inez and the city of New York are, they're like, I think they're one and the same, like they're reflecting each other in a very subtle way. Like she's, she's a project, she's a product of her environment. And she's a product of the politics and yeah. New York itself is slowly becoming, is slowly changing over time. Like just like how Inez slowly becomes quiet. I noticed New York city starts to become quiet too. The, yeah, like, yeah. I think your um, sound designer did a fantastic job in like balancing the sound where it goes, like you're, you're hearing the music, the hip hop music, the rap and the Angie Martins and all these stuff. The soundtrack of New York was loud and brash and people driving on the street where there's their boom boxes of blast music blasting through the cars. And then by the end of the film, New York is much more quiet, you know, and that's the sign of the gentrification. That's the sign of the um the politics, the yeah. road, like the stop and frisk. And like New York went through that transition. Terry, not so much because he went from a child to a, a young adult, but Inez and New York are one and the same to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think the way you presented is is really what I had in mind. Um I, I think I was really when I when I started writing the movie. I was really intrigued about like, you know, what does New York look like personified? And what if the spirit of New York is a black woman, you know? And so I think the same way Inez is fighting for herself, you see the city fighting for its own self, uh, its own, uh, its own like its own spirit and soul. Um, I think Inez comes out at the end of the movie with a stronger sense of who she is and, and why that's worth protecting. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's the same for New York City. I think that jury's still out. Yeah, yeah New York, she's still, she's, she's still fighting her fight, you know, because you all these politicians, these mayors out here trying to, these men trying to ruin her. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, the other thing about Inez is her relationships with the people around her. I noticed that once Kim leaves, Inez doesn't really have any female friends around her. You know, she only has Lucky and she only has Terry. And these are two, um, these are two black men, this young black boy that she loves so much. Like she would, as she told Lucky, she would go to, that she told Aunt Terry, she would go to war for this boy. And she would, she would take on the entire city if she had to for this boy. And that shows what such a fierce protector she is, what a fierce mother. And I love that this film is a metaphor. I hope this is not a spoiler. Is this, is this a spoiler? If it's a spoiler, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a metaphor for what, what makes a mother a mother, you know, for her, a mother, a mother isn't just a title. It's something that she embodies, you know, this is, she would yeah. risk it off of this child. And then for Lucky, she's a lover. She's a fighter, you know, and she, and she fights and she loves him. But then it's, this is what, this is the relationship I think she feels the most insecure about, you know, and this is, and like, she, she there are two things that she's not sure about her position as a mother and her position as a wife. And I think that's that's something that so many black women can relate to, you know, because so many black women struggle with being recognized and being heard and being listened to to the people closest to us. And that's particularly usually the men in our lives, whether it's our husbands, brothers, fathers, cousins, grandfathers. And I um and there are moments in the film where I just be like, can this woman catch a break? Can you all just leave Inez in peace? Like she's trying her best and it's like her best still isn't good enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that is how a lot of us are made to feel. And I think Inez, like so many of us, just wants to feel loved and not just mm -hmm. needed, you know? 
Um, even when I think about the archetypes of the archetypes of black women and how we've been presented in film, if you think of what black movies looked like in the early '90s, mid '90s, when around the time that this story begins, uh, you know, so a lot of those movies which are deemed classics now, that is how these women were portrayed. You didn't get three dimensional versions of them. You didn't get a sense of what their story was or why why they were the way they were. If they were a bit more complicated. Uh, all you really got to see was the fact that like this is the purpose that they served in these men's, you know, in the in the in the lives of the male characters. And and if, in some ways they were kind of like a necessary evil, you know, in order to get what I need in life, I need to deal with this woman and how complicated she is. And that's another reason why I really wanted to tell this story, because I wanted to honor what I've seen day in and day out and honor these women that are made to feel so invisible despite what they go through. Um, because I think there, there's, when we think about what the experience is, uh, what it means to be black and just deal with a lot of what's thrown at us in society. Yes, our men certainly have their issues that they're trying to overcome generation by generation, but so do the women, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just about us trying to save them. <laughs> no, it's true. And it's, I think it's also about black women having to save ourselves, you know, because there, there comes a point where we have, and I think right at the end is where Inez is getting back that fire. You know, she's starting to look after herself again. She's starting to realize I'm still Inez, you know, I'm still me. I'm still the woman who loves to, who loves to do here. You know, I'm still the woman who loves to have my nails done. And like over time, she kind of lost that because again, like I, I've always loved to pay attention to the small details, but Inez, I think that how we talked about the, the, the sound of the city, and even her and how her tone changes over the film, her appearance changes, you know, at the beginning. She got her hair slicked down, got her baby hair arm curled and gelled and swooped, nails done, makeup done, like body banging and showing. But then at, then at, over time, she starts to wear looser T-shirts. Her hair isn't done as carefully as it was before. But then we start to see just at the end where it feels like everything is crumbling around her that's where she's able to start to find herself again and I think there's a beauty in that and just a beauty being able for her to embrace herself even in her not darkest hour but in her most trying time I think because this is a time where she's going to be tried in a way she 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 was hoping wouldn't have wouldn't happen but she was kind of she kind of knew but she was like you know what if I got it kind of made me think (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous but it kind of made me think how in old westerns you know, the, the men would just get ready and they'd be like, if I got to go at noon guns blaze, I'm going to go with my finest trench coat with my boots polished uh, and, yeah. and everything. Yeah. It kind of made me think of that. Yeah, I love that. No, and, and and I agree. You know, it's like you go out with like your head hell high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, yeah. If I got to go, I'm going to go out looking banging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, talk. I want now to talk about the casting because I think the casting of of um Inez and Tiana Taylor like I don't I, I would use the word a revelation because everyone knows her as a singer and she's a fantastic performer when she dances like she's just she's almost ethereal when she um, dances she's on rail but we got to see another side of her as a as a performer you know and her her performance is very much like Inez where it says it feels very realistic you know she doesn't feel like overly rehearsed she doesn't feel like she was trained too hard she just feels very natural as Inez and her chemistry with um her actors i'm gonna bring up my imdb um starting with the the younger terry who's played by aaron kingsley at uh, at and then mm-hmm. older terry who's um Ava and courtney and then 
her husband, um, Lucky William um, Catlett, who I saw in Charm City Kings, he's amazing. And like these, 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 these actors, like she has such a fantastic chemistry with all of them. So talk about the casting that you went through with your casting director just to get all of them and how the chemistry reads. And not only that, the young Terry's look just like the older Terry's, like the <laughs> just face wise is spot on. Uh, thank you. Oh, and, and also Josiah Cross, uh, yes. who played the oldest yes. version. Uh, I mean, the casting progress was, was very rigorous and also very challenging. I think casting during a pandemic in particular, it just adds a, a, a whole bunch of set of constraints that we just hadn't experienced before. And I think I had to be mindful of that. I think with casting Inez in particular, I I think I knew that I wrote a role that was going to be challenging in a way that would engage an actress at any level. You know, I did believe in what the, you know, what this, how much fun this would be for, for an actress. But I also knew that the performance needed to be matched by a sense of truthfulness. Like, I know this person. I've been this person at some point in my life. Like, whatever the connected sources, I didn't want it. I didn't want whoever to portray, whoever portrayed Inez to come off performative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because of that, I elected to not take the usual route of just trying to make an offer to a bunch of like A-list actresses who all would have been amazing people to work with. And I can't wait to work with them with someone else. I was like, I just need to cast a wide net. Um, I'm still open to people if they're open to reading for the role. But I, I needed to know in the room that I had found someone who could give me both, give me that stellar performance and give me that truthful authentic, authenticity that I was looking for and how this underprivileged woman was represented and how this New York woman was represented. Um, and so I think Tiana, she, she gave me that and so much more. I mean, I love the fact that not only she was a super talented actress, but I can't wait for everybody to see because I don't think most people are expecting this from her. But I think she she connected to this not only because she's from Harlem and a, and a New Yorker, uh, but she's also a mom. And mm-hmm. I think she was to bring that to this performance as well. So she just connected with the material on so many, so many different levels. And so I think it was just such a joy to find her when I did. Uh, I think with the other cast members, I think with Lucky, I really wanted to be mindful of what kind of actor do I think uh, I, you know, Inez would su- submit to. Like mm-hmm. he had to have this type of presence that this very strong force of a woman, you had to believe that she wouldn't just bulldoze right over him. So I think he had the physical presence um, that I was looking for in terms of their dynamic. But I think he also had a, a very, he, he was able to access his vulnerability in a way that was, was also going to be important for the father-son relationship. I believe that he could be a father figure to each of these boys. And so I think those two things, I mean, are, the, are those sets of things like, was really important to me in shaping him. I think with the Terry's, um, I mean, that was a delicate balance. I mean, it's a puzzle putting together any 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 cast of people in, a, in an ensemble way. But I think they each had to represent uh, a generation. Um, they used a, a stage in this boy's development. And, mm-hmm. and so I think you see him go from this very quiet, very smart and observant, like very precocious child, but very into himself. And then he opens up a little bit more into in, in the two in the 2001 and we see him also taking in other influences we see how his environment is influencing him and we see what he's observing not only in in the dynamics between his parents but also how he's relating to women through the dynamics between his male counterparts like his friend p and just like 
just the psychology of what's what what how women are talked about in the neighborhood, you know. So he just coming into a man and just kind of figure out where do I stand, not only in that way, how I relate to women, but also how I relate to myself. You know, he's he's starting to get a sense of like, who am I in the world? And then the oldest Terry, I think he's kind of you see him take shape as like all these different elements actualized and you see him really starting to come into himself uh, and just look for those last missing pieces of figuring out the question of who am I? Yeah. Like everything you said is so, is so, it's so perfect because it's a lot of stuff that occurred to me throughout the film. I kind of see like the older Terry, the, um, the Terry played by Josiah Cross. He is an amalgamation. I think of lucky, and a little bit of of Inez, but also of like his environment, like the reaction, the environment of the men he sees, you know, like we know this, like um, boys are influenced way a lot by their environment about how they see other men treat women. And in, and that's the other thing about this film, like you very subtly address issues that black women and black girls face in um, in relationships with black men and black boys. And one of the scenes that had me, I was just like, oh, Terry, you were this close to being almost perfect. <laughs> pursuing this girl. And I'm just, oh, look at you being cute, putting her on the inside. And then as soon as she's just like, sorry, I got to go away for school. He's like, well, I like, Sp- I like, you know, Spanish girls. I'm like, really, son? And then, <laughs> and then Inez checked him on and she's like, well, what? Now all of a sudden, like, you, like, you, like, you're too good for the girls that look just like you. So and I, I kind of saw that as almost a behavior that was influenced by Lucky and his own behaviors and stuff that he did to Ines. I want you to talk a bit about that as because that's something that we talk a lot, especially black women and black girls talk a lot about um, colorism in the yeah. black community and how we are perceived romantically um, as romantic um, partners for in not only starting from in like teenage because like, we face these kind of situations in teenage as seen with teenage Terry and like the girl that he was pursuing. And then in adulthood, like, as we saw with Lucky, and, and another woman that is involved in the story. So talk about adding that in and like why, why you felt that was important. I felt like it was so important because it, it just goes back to the bigger questions around Inez and this, this, this Black woman who went so deeply to be loved because over the course of the movie, you see how much she gives to everyone in her life, how much she gives to everyone, particularly these two men, you know, who dominate her, her life, you know? And so... It's, I think for her and for so many of us, it is overwhelming to devote so much of yourself to our men uh, just to still feel like you're just still never fully enough. You're never mm-hmm. fully enough for them in order to be loved and appreciated and fully seen. And, and I think you see that. You see that kind of playing out in how we're devalued and how that conditioning happens uh, in the examples that you show, not only with some of the choices of uh, what his male his male uh, father figure um, makes, but also in just like who he's hanging around. Um, yes, that colorism is a huge part of it. It's like you know misogyny. I think any any group of women have to deal with, but I think as 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 women of color, we particularly have to deal with colorism as well. And just saying like you're no, no matter if you nurtured me and surrounded me and submerged me with love my entire upbringing, you're just still not good enough to fully love in that way. You know, it, it's a, it is a huge smack in the face. And we see how that plays out for Inez over the course of the story. Mm-hmm. Right. And another aspect of that, like we talked about the gentrification and we talked about the gentrification of New York City in the macro sense. Now in the micro sense, and it actually kind of ties into where it's just like we're not enough. Um, 
there's a scene between Inez and her new landlord, which is a white man who comes in and he starts out all nice, you know, like, oh, we'll happily replace your cupboards, your towels and all that. And then they start to create problems where you can tell like he's trying to force her out, you know, mm-hmm. and try to make the situation untenable for her and literally inhabitable for her. And a scene that really like this, this was the scene that really broke my heart. And that was maybe that, as you said, you're thinking, or am I, when am I ever going to be enough where she's doing what Lucky told her to do? What also Terry told her to do? Try mm-hmm. to be calm, try to like not be too loud, try not to be too emotional. And she does that, you know, she's just like, she's not getting upset. She's holding in her anger, which she's right, which she's rightfully entitled to because of the situation. She's trying not to raise her voice because she knows this is a white man and like you know once it's a black once it's like you know she don't want to fulfill the whole angry black woman trope she mm-hmm. does that and then terry's gonna have the audacity the unmitigated god to lie there on his back and look at her if you're not gonna fight him on that i was just like really dude really <laughs> i'm like you just saw what your mother's going through you're the one who was telling her all the time that she needs to be a little bit more softer a little bit quieter and then the time she does it still doesn't work so talk about those kind of scenes and scripting those scenes and working with the cast on those scenes it, I mean it, it just goes back to the idea that we are just never fully enough you know never fully good enough and and also the way society tries to demonize us for the dealing with how, how we reconcile that frustration because of that angry black woman trope um, mm-hmm. I was really I was really mindful of that I think with Inez we see as someone who's gone through really crazy life trauma, she, you know, she has no family as far as we know. She comes from the foster care, foster care system, just like her child. Like she had a lot of things that she's been through in her life. And we see over the course of the movie, she just, how people treat her despite every, her being a product of her environment and her circumstances. And by that point in the movie, you know, she's been pacified the way so many of us, of us have, which is to say that, just by her standing up for herself, she's being treated as if she is somehow a demon and a villain. And, oh, why are you so angry? You know, that trope of like angry black woman. It's like, I I wanted people to see that, that us being angry is not the reason why society isn't listening to us. Mm -hmm. It isn't the reason why society isn't embracing us. It isn't like, oh, you know what? Maybe if you just talk a little quieter, softer, sweeter, then the whole world would open up to you. Actually, no. Mm-hmm. Actually, she, you know, even when we start there, I mean, I think Inez, uh, we see her work her way backwards. You know, she starts out feisty and over time, she really does try to morph into this per- this person that uh, society wants her to become. But even in my own life, I'm, there's so many situations that I've been in, in life, that, you know, personal or, or professional, where you start a very quiet, very sore, very soft, very cordial. and crickets or you know just dismissed and it's not until you know you get to a point where you're just so frustrated for any given reason and it's like now everybody hears you but now it's like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa what's this about well, why are you getting so loud why are you getting so angry why are you getting so and it's like it's just it just feels like severe gaslighting uh which majority of the time it is <laughs> it is because you know there'll be people who tell you like in an argument you shouldn't raise a voice because then your 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 point of view is not going to get heard. But then if you talk too loud, they're still not going to ignore you. You'd be like, but I might as well raise my voice and express my anger and get it on instead of holding it in. You know, I got to. I used to be like that. I used to be very quiet. And then people be like, "Why are you so quiet?" I'm like, mm-hmm. "What time you just to like tone it down and be softer and be?" And I'm like, "I can't be pleasing you, so I'll just do whatever I want." <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, rather than asking us to not be angry 
uh, either stop giving us things to be angry about or, 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 or help prevent, you know, these things from happening all together, you know? And so I think that's a lot, definitely a lot of what I had in mind in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know here we're um, running out of time. So my last question to you, I wanted to um, kind of like bring everything home to the ending. And there's something that she says, and while it looks like a weak moment, because like she's kind of like all in disarray and she's having this intense conversation with Terry about their past and this thing that has happened, but she's just like, I've won, you know? And, and to me, I saw that as her saying like, I've won despite all the obstacles that life has thrown at me. I've won despite all of the insurmountable odds where I've come from. I was in prison and I've raised my child, this young black boy to be a successful, smart, intelligent, you know, um, purposeful young black man. And she's like, I won. I, this is, I, I, I did the impossible. And I was just like, for me, like first thing first, having her, how she looked, but then having that, that moment for her, like that was a moment of self-affirmation for her and her being, again, finding her voice again and raising her voice and being alone and say, I won, I, I did this thing. And now mm-hmm. I, and I just love that scene. And I want you to talk a bit, not only about that scene, but how for you, this film is like your own moment of saying, I've won, I've done the mm-hmm. impossible, you know, I've made this amazing film. I've made this film with this amazing cast and crew and you're like showing at film festivals now. And I'm like, you have won, A.B. Like, this is your, this is like your, this is like your spring and you're just like, I'm going to cross the finish line and I've done it. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think that scene that you're talking about, it was, it was such an emotional culmination of everything that we've seen her endure up until that point in the movie. And I think, you know, she was angry at Terry, but I think she was also angry at life. She was angry at everyone, you know, in the way that, she was expressing herself to him. And I think that that moment for me was these, these two people being angry with each other, really. Um, and really through it all, wanting to know, like, do you love me? You know, it's like neither person wanted to give, you know, the other what they really wanted, which was that answer. Like, did you really love me through all of this? Um, so I think she's fighting for that. I think she has a lot to get off her chest. Uh, but it's really leading up to that. Just her just kind of admitting that, like, that's really what I, that's really only the only thing I ever wanted was to feel that sense of like love and acknowledgement. Um, uh, did she win? I definitely agree that she won. Um, and yeah, I do feel like I won too. I mean, I think in the making of this, I think just getting a feature film made in general uh, is a real feat for any filmmaker. And I know so many that are still in that fight. Uh, and I think not only did I get to make the movie that that you watched but um I got to make it with the support of and a really incredible group of people um and that doesn't happen I think it's just it's so rare that a story like this gets to get made at this level and distributed at this level um and so I'm just so grateful for the ways that I as a black woman have been supported and empowered and uplifted uh, and people believed in what I had to say whether it was their experience or not I think sometimes you don't have to understand somebody just to listen and just to feel like, you know, regardless of whether or not I fully get this, I know that it's important to you and it's going to be important to millions of other people, you know, so let's get it out there. And so I think I'm super grateful for everybody that has just been championing, championing this movie. And I just can't wait to share it <laughs> with audiences on March 31st. 
Let it go out and see it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am so happy for you. And like this is one of those films I know, like for a lot of black women, it's gonna resonate with a lot. And I know I, I just want you to know that you that I love this film. And I should say that's not that should matter, but I love this film. <laughs> and like I know like so many black women will love this film because. It is, I think I think it's like almost a love letter for, to, for black women, you know, it's a, it's a love letter for black women saying we in our struggles and in and even if you don't have kids like me, but like there's still aspects in Inez that we can see and like we can relate to and we can love. And she's like one of those characters you just you just want to give her a hug and say, it's OK, baby, it'll be fine. And like you like think that's this film is a love letter for women like her and for women like us. And I I honestly, I just wish the best for you and for the entire cast and everyone who worked on this film. And so I congratulate you. Yay. Thank you so much. No, truly. I mean, I think in, in this conversation, which I, I, I really enjoy, I think it just means so much to me that not only did this movie resonate with you, but I think just your thoughtfulness, just thank you so much. I, I mean, I'm just, I think that's the biggest win for me. Uh, I think there's accolades, there's signifiers like winning, you know, the Sundance Prize that are like really beautiful. But just hearing how this movie reaches people on a personal core level, I think that's what I did it for. You know, that's what got me up every morning and continues to. Uh, that's what I've been fighting for. So thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. So everyone, that was another episode of Karen and Talks. And today I was joined by writer and filmmaker A.V. Rockwell to discuss her feature debut, A Thousand and One starring Tiana Taylor as Inez. And um, I'm so, this is this was one of my favorite films from Sundance and it's probably gonna be one of my favorite films for the year. And I just love films that really explore the complexities and the, the realities as well as the difficulties and the and the, the softness of black women. And, and I think it doesn't matter what era, but I think because this film is set in a time <laughs> that I existed, you know, beginning, in the mid 90s going through the early 2000s and mid 2000s like so much of it is that I recognize and I see myself and it always fascinates me when I see a film set in another country and in this in this particular setting Harlem New York that I can still kind of say you know even though this film is set in Harlem New York and these are this film is about um New York natives and Americans, I, I can see myself in these characters. I see these characters and people that I grew up with in Bahum and Barbados in my neighborhood in Carrison Village and in Broad Street, which is in the capital city of Bridgestone. It's just like, there. that's, I think, the universality of life and universe, universality of the Black diasporic experience and like the dialects, the way we talk, the way we talk about here, the way we dress, the, our music, so much of it is relatable and so so much of it is nostalgic. But it also, this film does talk about the things that Black women have to go through in life and like how we are still able to pull and push through and we are still able to, you know, win in the end. There are still things that we can win and to celebrate. And um, again, I want to thank A.B. for making this film. I want to thank you for speaking with me and taking the time to like just have such a thoughtful discussion about this film. And as she said, this film will be will premiere on March 31st, 2023. And I will be posting it on my YouTube channel as well. So you can go to my YouTube channel. Um, that's youtube.com at sign Carolyn underscore Hines. You'll find this um, episode of Carolyn Talks as well as my other coverage from Sundance 2023 there as well. And my South by Southwest 2023 coverage. Go to my R3 page. That's where You can find links to all of my published writing as well as the links to the YouTube channel links to my podcast, which is Karen and Talk. So here's what happened, which I co-host with my friend Lanisha Campbell. 
And Caroline TikToks is kind of like a sub-podcast of that. So if you go on podcast platforms like ACAST and Bobo.net, look for So Here's What Happened podcast, and you will find Caroline Talks under there as well, as well as my Asian drama podcast, which is temporarily on hiatus beyond the romance. And I'm listening to my older podcast episodes there. You can go on Twitter and Instagram and look for my hashtag Saturday Night Sci-Fi, SHW. And so here's what happened, which is SHWH, Caroline Talks. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12. That's C-R-I-E-C-N-H12. And I forgot to say R3, but R3 is R3.com slash Caroline Hines. And you can find off my writing there. And until the next episode of Caroline Talks, everyone, stay safe. Bye. Oh, 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 oh